Well, our text today comes to us from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 36. Listen now for a word from the Lord. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others that one of the old prophets has risen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anybody, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world, but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who were standing with him. And as these two men were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. And let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. But while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to, to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for a moment during the week to pause and to reflect on it. God, I pray whatever wisdom, whatever word you would have us here this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do a short recap of where we're at because we have new folks trickling in every week. Uh, we're finishing a sermon series um, that I'm calling Thoughts on Being a Christian. 
And we began the first week about talking kind of where Christians begin. We talked about call, we talked about curiosity, we talked about gratitude, and we talked about how that sort of begins our journey. And then the week after that, we talked about uh, maintaining rituals in the Christian life, making sure we're connected to God, we're connected to the source of life, making sure that we are fed and filled up so that we're ready for the journey ahead. And then last week, we talked about the work that we do as Christians. We talked about the, the, the process of liberation. We talked about the work of liberation, that we, we have to forgive, we have to administer grace, we have to work toward reconciliation, just like Joseph. And this week, we're going to talk about final destinations and ultimate things. So our story begins with Jesus trying to pray with his disciples, it seems like, and they're circled up. And, and he says to them, here's a muttering, he says to them, he says, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples start spouting off their answers. They say things like, well, you know, some people say you're Elijah, and, and I heard you were John the Baptist, and I, I heard you were one of the prophets from old that's been risen, and I heard you were like Moses, and I heard this, and I heard that. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And there's this great silence And Peter finally speaks up and he says, I think you're the Messiah of God. Which is a pretty bold declaration. It wasn't that uncommon. A a lot of times in the first century, what would happen is these um, these teachers would rise up, these prophets, and um, they would begin their teaching, they would begin their series of sayings, and they would would get a group of disciples around them, not unlike Jesus, and eventually a, a lot of these folks would declare that they were the Messiah. There were Messiahs popping up left and right during Jesus's time. The difference here is that Jesus is not necessarily declaring himself as Messiah, but his disciples are seeing it in him. They're at least hoping that is who he is. And he confirms it. He says to Peter, like, hey, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Don't say that out loud. Don't say that to anybody. Don't mention that because here's what has to happen. I'm going to suffer a lot. The son of humankind, you know, he's, he's got to go through this trial and this tribulation and, and he's going to go to the cross and he knows it. And his disciples know what the cross means too. He knows that hey, the Romans are going to execute our teacher. This is what Jesus knows. This is what the disciples have learned. And now it's what they have to struggle with. You see, when they started following Jesus, the hope when you found a teacher was the hope of salvation, of healing, of maybe ultimate power in some ways. I know Judas was one that wanted this. Judas, uh, Jesus' disciple, wanted a revolution. He wanted Jesus to come and overthrow the government and then, you know, reign with a holy kind of power, not the corrupt power that the Romans had. This is who they want, but when this revelation comes from Jesus, it kind of knocks something loose in them, and I I can only imagine that they're struggling inside, asking the question, should we be doing this? Are we on the right path right now? 
Are we doing the things that we need to do? Is this the right guy to follow? Because he's, did y'all catch that? He's going to die soon and he knows it. He knows he's an enemy of the state. He knows where this is ending. And for the disciples, it's not where they thought they were going. Have any of y'all ever asked the question of where you're going in life? You ever just thought about that? Like, well, am I, am I on the right path here? Am I doing the thing that I need to be doing? Am I, have you ever taken a moment to reflect on that? I recently went, uh, I was at a doctor's office recently, and this is a great time to reflect on that question <laughs> because they give you all these forms to fill out, and I've, I've reached the age where uh, doctors' visits are no longer simple. And I want to say I'm not, like, um, I'm not veiling any health problems that I have in this sermon, okay? I'm, I'm fine. I'm normal. Everything's okay. I might be a little neurotic about my health, but that's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> we get there. But I'm, I reach the age where, like, I walk in the doctor's office, and it's no longer, hey, buddy, keep doing what you're doing. You look great. Call me if anything goes wrong. Now it's like, well, we might want to check on that. <laughs> yeah, we might want to look at it. We might want to run some tests on that and hey, how's your diet? How are you doing here and there? And the doctor's office is a great time to reflect on that question. Am I on the path that I want to be on? Am I setting myself up for long-term success health-wise? Am I doing the things I need to do? How is my diet? How much do I exercise? How am I feeling? It's not a question we often ask. How am I feeling? We don't just do this as individuals asking what path we're on, where we're headed. We, we do it as a society, too. I don't know about you, but this past week I've been asking a lot of questions about where the world's headed and what God is up to. Y'all been paying attention to what's happening in Florida and other states? These legislators, <laughs> they're terrified of American history, it seems. They're terrified of it. If you don't know, in Florida, and I think Indiana's one, and, and I think Arizona as well, and there might be others that I've forgotten, but there are, uh, there's this push for legislation that essentially um, uh, oversees what teachers are teaching so that they can weed out any talk of what they're calling critical race theory, but what we might just call American history. Amen? Amen. And it's troubling. And it makes you wonder if there are more states like Florida that go that way. It makes you wonder if there are more states like Indiana. If this is actually going to happen, if this is the way we're going as a people, and we are bound up in this together, if this is the way that we're going, where does that end? Where does it end when we can't talk to our kids about history? Where do we end up as a people when we can't confront the truth of our reality and our past? We have to constantly hide from it. We have to constantly deny it and pretend it's not there and that the world is okay. Where do we end up? Well, this is the question that I think the disciples are asking as they're climbing to the top of this mountain with Jesus. And it's just three of them. It's Peter, James, and John. And you know, there's a way to read this passage where it, it it reads like Jesus asks those three to just go up with him. But I actually think there's another way to read this. 
And that is, that I, I don't know if the other nine wanted to go up to the mountain to pray with Jesus. Not after that revelation that he gave them. I think they're wondering what they're going to do, and I think the three that go with him are wondering too. And they know that the revelation may come when they get to that mountaintop. And Jesus is always doing this. He's always leaving to go and pray somewhere quiet. He's always going to some mountaintop, and so they finally get to go with him. And there's a way to read this, too, and, and a, lot of, a lot of commentators did, did this with the text as I was reading it this week. It's like Jesus took them up, and he just wanted to show them how great he was. And I just think that, is not, that does not jive with the Jesus that I read throughout these Gospels. Maybe the, maybe the disciples do need some affirmation. Maybe they do need some reassurance, and maybe that does help them. But I actually think this is a story about the disciples. This is a story about their journey. This is about how are they going to continue? What will they do? And it's all coming to this crisis point on the top of the mountain. And so they get up there, and they fall into this deep sleep. And if you read this in the original language, the, the, the sense that you get is that they're caught up in some kind of dream vision that feels very real to them. They're caught up in this dream vision, and in this dream vision, we, we read it for today, Jesus is transformed into this great shining light. And they see Jesus floating there above them. I had a student in youth group that called him glow-in-the-dark Jesus at this point. <laughs> I just have to say that. Colton, if you're watching, thank you for that. Jesus is caught up in this, in this, this, this moment where he's this great shining light, and, and, and they can't believe it, and they're wondering, what is, what is this? What's, what's happening? And then they hear two people talking, and it's Moses, and it's Elijah. And they begin to have this sudden realization, as they're caught up in this dream, that Jesus is who he says he is. And he is the Son of God, and he is the Holy One sent from heaven, and he is the Messiah, the one that will lead the people out of bondage. But he is not the one they thought he was going to be. Because as Moses is there and as Elijah is there, what these disciples would have seen is that Jesus was another in a long line of failed prophets. And the only thing I mean by failed is that these prophets, these messiahs, suffered for the sake of their people and for the salvation of their people. Moses never gets to go into the promised land. Elijah is rejected by his people at the time, and Jesus, as we know, is also rejected. And so they're confronted with this ultimate reality that Jesus is the Messiah, and it really isn't going to go well for him or for them, the disciples. And so they wake up, and they've kind of had this epiphany, and they begin their descent from the mountain, and they have to be wondering, what are we doing? Are we going the way we want to be going? Is this really how we want to end up? Are any of y'all familiar with uh, Gil Scott Heron? Y'all know that name? Yeah. 
I was told just before the service, he, he had a song, um, uh, The Night We Almost Lost Detroit. Is that right, Tom? The Night We Almost Lost Detroit. He's famous, he's famous for another one, um, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And I think if you go back and you listen to his music, like he's so far ahead of his time, he was probably never going to be accepted by popular culture, but oh my gosh, he, there's, there's such a depth to his words and to his music. But I, I, was, I was listening to The Revolution Will Not Be Televised this week, and, um, and then I started, I got curious and I started listening to interviews I just want to know, what does, he, what does he mean by this song? What is going on here? And he said in an interview to someone, the only thing he's trying to say is that, and he really reveals this in that final um, stanza, he says, the revolution will not be televised. It will not be televised. It will not be televised. It will not be televised. There are no reruns because the revolution is live. He says, all I mean by that is that the revolution that you want to see in the world all those changes you think you want to see, all the things you're crying about that you want to see changed around you, it begins right here. Man, that hit me hard. <laughs> that was devastating. I was like, yeah, that's, I think that's right. He says, you have to change your mind before you start changing the world. You've got to change your heart before you start changing society. You've got to do a deep dive on yourself. You gotta ask, who am I? What am I doing? And where am I going? I think we as a people have to ask that question too. As Americans and as Christians, if we identify that way, where are we going? What are we up to? You know, a lot of Christians want to spend a lot of time uh, speculating about what happens after we die. Do we go to heaven? Do we go to hell? Do we, is there a purgatory? Is there anything? Do we just go and, and rest with God? And like, that's, those, those are fine, fine conversations. But what, what about the next generation? What about you? What about our next encounter with God? What about the person we're going to meet in just a few moments, the people we're going to talk to, what about that destination? Are we thinking about that? What about our habits? What about our rituals? What about the people we spend time with? What about the ideas that we have just resting in our heads? What about those things? Where are we going? What are we doing? I think this is a question that Christians have to ask. Christians are always asking. We can have these big mountaintop experiences where we make a big decision, not unlike the disciples maybe do at this point. We can have those moments, but we can also have smaller moments, smaller encounters with God, where we choose, where we decide. Are we going to take up our cross daily? Are we going to continue to follow the path that doesn't always look so promising and hopeful? Or are we going to bail out and go a different way? So for the Christian, perhaps there is an ultimate destination. Perhaps we can speculate about that. But I think the only thing we know for sure is that 
we have encounter after encounter after encounter coming with reality and with the living God. And I think we have to decide, are we going to continue on that path? Are we going to keep our eyes open? Are we going to keep working for justice? Are we going to keep practicing humility? Or do we want to go a different way? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.